Thanks for listening to this OCRFM podcast. Head to ocrfm.org.au to find more great content and information about how to donate and support this community radio station. Welcome to Community Connect with Edwina and Greg McHenry here on OCRFM 98.3 and 88.7 FM along the coast. Before we get going, I'd like to pay my respect to and acknowledge the Gulijan people who are the custodians of the land we're on today as well as the Gadabunud who are along the coast. I'd also like to pay my respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. How are you, Ed? I'm well, thank you. All right. I'm looking forward to this program. Yeah, I know. You haven't <laughs> finished the book, I have. <laughs> so I'm not allowed. I've got to be careful. We're going to be talking a bit about sexual abuse and some other things, and suicide might get mentioned again. So once again, have your pens and pencils out there. I've got some numbers that I'll be reading out, but I'll also put them in with the blog where we do our podcast on ocrfm.org.au. Tim Lowe's he's in here to have a bit of a yarn with us about a book called Church Burning that has been released, but he's going to be doing a re-release here at the Cowlick Bookshop. And I don't know where the new Cowlick Bookshop is, so I hope Tim does. And uh, he's in the studio with us. G'day, how are you, Tim? Very well, thank you. Lovely to be here, Greg and Edwina. You worked in war-torn... When I look up your bio about a lot of stuff, it says that you worked in uh, war-torn Belfast in Australia as an isolated in isolated areas yes. as a GP. Yes. And you started writing following some traumatic experiences and that was your solace, was it? Um, yes, it was in a way. I, as a young person, I, I never thought I'd be a writer. In, in fact, um, when I did HSC, the, the past equivalent of ECE... I was loved reading, and I did the compulsory English expression, but I also did English literature because I liked literature, and I got fifty-three for for literature. Um, it's a pass. Yeah, I did well in the science subjects and got into medicine, but I, I think I mentally said then, okay, yeah, you like reading, but you don't have any literary talents. Forget about it. And then uh, it really started in Belfast. So. I, in 1984 and 1985, I worked in this big hospital in Belfast. I was aiming to be a rural GP. Um, I'd done my basic training, two years at the Geelong Hospital, and then I needed to do anaesthetics and obstetrics so I could go into a country town and, and do the things that rural doctors did. And I got a very good job at the Royal Victoria Hospital in Belfast doing anaesthetics. But Belfast at that time was a war zone. How do you go between Geelong and Belfast, though? <laughs> I know, that's incredible. Well, I actually wanted to go there. Mm. I'd had a, a long-term interest in all things Irish. I loved mm. Irish folk music. I was fascinated by Irish history, and I wanted to get a job in Ireland. The South would have been okay, but it was far easier for me to get a, a job in the North um, under the, the British system. I could, I could easily get British registration. So off I went. It was quite scary. It was all, you know, barbed wire and graffiti and army patrols. The high-rise block of flats I lived in had an army lookout on the roof. And that meant that a change of shift when the soldiers came down, the lift doors would open, there'd be three machine guns pointing out. That that was their routine. Have a nice day. Yeah, (laughs) yes. Um, It was near the Falls Road, which was the Republican stronghold, and they would occasionally shoot up at the soldiers on the roof there, which mean the occupants of the higher flats occasionally got bullets through their windows. Um, So it was quite a nasty situation to be in. Um, And I was doing anaesthetics, which means I was regularly being called for GSWs. I didn't know what a GSW was till I got there. It's a gunshot wound. Um, and that was distressing, um, particularly the, um, the, the 
plastic bullet injuries, which you know, mm. if someone got hit in the head, we'd spend hours you know, pulling out the plug of bone that had been pushed in and then mm. I'd see these people afterwards and they were always left with some degree of acquired brain injuries. Mm. So that was Belfast. It was a... In a way, it was a... Well, after I got over the, the fear of the place, I found that I had a really good time because I was an outsider, and that time there were no outsiders. Mm. You know, once I opened my mouth, what are you doing here? Everyone wanted to be my friend. Nice. <laughs> so I had a fantastic social time. I, I think I drank more than I ever drank in my life because they just go out to pubs every evening. Mm. So, so that was mixed thing. If we get to... Um, my, my next thing, I, I came back um, and went to a country town, a little country town called Walwa, which you might have heard on the news recently. It was yeah, burnt by bushfires. The... Yeah, nice. you know, I've, I've still got friends there who, who, who lost property. Anyway, that was a really good year. I decided then that I didn't want to be a solo GP. I wanted to be able to, you know, go down the corridor and talk with other doctors and things. But I had a terrible experience there. And in retrospect, it was because I was sort of caught out. In accident emergency departments, I'd regularly seen dreadful things, and I think we're, we're trained for them. But one lunchtime, I was having my lunch break, and the local policeman's wife came running up to me with a toddler who was mm. unconscious, basically dead. So I did everything I could to resuscitate it, but um, that was a dreadful experience. Mm. Um, and I was traumatised by that. I had nightmares and things. And I eventually started writing, and my first book... Um, which Equinox of Tears Equinox of Tears, oh. yep I, I was trying to introduce it properly In retrospect, it was um, dealing with my own trauma of my wife's accident in um, 1998 mm. and I didn't tell that story but I told in the story of a series of deaths of children in a country town In other words, I was, I was drawing on the, the terrible trauma of that experience at all and you've gone on to Roy One. You've become a bit happier, than you go, and I'm happy to say you're going to give me a copy of your Arab Club <laughs> Four Women and a Man, which I've had yeah. a bit of the synopsis on that, and I think I'm going to enjoy a bit of humour because I have finished your book called Church Burning. You, but you're local. You're sort of local now, aren't you? Or you've worked here in Colac for a bit. Yes, I was at Colac. I was a GP in Colac for ten years, and then actually the. The death of my wife, Kerry, left me in a state where I had a terrible sleeping problem mm. and I eventually decided that I couldn't do the on-call work. I'd go and do something different. Um, and I didn't know what I was going to do. My criteria for my next job would be, well, um, I want to do something different and challenging. And I had a, a, a flat. I owned a flat in, in Melbourne that had been um, uh, rented out. I said, OK, I'll go and live there. And I can't stand Melbourne traffic, so my criteria was I had to get a job that was interesting and challenging, and it had to be within walking distance of my flat. So that's how I ended up working in the, the St Kilda Pran area. And that's where the book is quite quite focused. Now, have you got, you've got the book there. Do you want to just read the first page or thereabouts of it, just to give us that the feeling, because now you've told us where it's going to be starting off and set up. This is the, really the genesis of the book, isn't it? It is, yes, yes. So um, so my, my flat's in Windsor, not far from Chapel Street, which is a really exciting street. I reckon it's one of Melbourne's most interesting streets, so I got to know that and all the coffee shops. Anyway, so the start of the novel is a description of Chapel Street. Is it, now, is it a novel or is it factional? Because there's quite a bit of... Some of the people in it 
and you mentioned hor- some horrifying things and some actual yeah. things in yeah, it that, 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 that's right. that I might come up with it, later it, on. But it's definitely fiction, however, and draws on lots of real things. Um, so it, it's it's uh, something that could possibly have happened. Yeah, right. But it's definitely fiction. Well, I lived in Windsor so I, at one <laughs> stage there, so I can really associate with where you are when you read this as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, okay then. So the first section, it's the appearance of the central character of the, 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 the book named Justin. Anyway, here we go. Early in the morning, Chapel Street is recovering. The air seems stiller, the traffic muted, the occasional pedestrian exposed and uncertain. The first shift coffee drinkers, only two-thirds awake, blankly watching the flurries of shop staff. The footpaths are hard and reflective, jarring with ugly imprints of the previous night's heroics, broken bottles and spattered vomit. The thrumming begins with a lemming-like migration from the flats of Windsor and Pran and the high-rise colonies of the marginalised. There is a gravitational pull to the Great Strip, which is long enough, between its ethnographic margins of Dandenong Road and Turek Road, to make it feel limitless. It greets its flock with a nourishing blast of canyon air, an essence of youth and history. The mood shifts and lightens as determined shoppers weave between brunching tables and muttering crazies. Clusters bunch up at pedestrian crossings and cars toss gobbets of music. An arterial tram zings and dong-dongs its importance. By mid-morning, on a Saturday morning, Chapel Street is starting to come alive like a great serpent which has dragged itself onto a rock in the sun. It is now starting to pulse and writhe. Will I continue, or was that no? Enough? I think that gets us going because it was, at that time it was when uh, of the riding of Justin's going for a walk. It's a, in 2015. Yeah, yeah, and that was the height of the the uh, the Royal Commission into Institutional Responses to Child Sexual Abuse. Hmm. And uh, it's not too much. We're not giving too much away if we. We talk from there on, it um, becomes quite an issue it, about it, the abuse and it evolves. It, it does. And actually, by a historic accident, I was working with people with mental health problems and people with addiction problems, 2013, 2017, which was the time of the Royal Commission into the institutional responses to child sexual abuse. And it was being reported all the time, and this was having a dramatic effect on a lot of the people in the area. They were traumatised by the news. I, I saw people who had suffered childhood sexual abuse, which they kept quiet all their life, and now they're hearing it on the radio, seeing it on the television, in the newspapers, to the point that many just had to stop, blot out all the news. This was this was something unfamiliar to, to me, something people behaving like this. And in fact, I learned from that there's a, a big group of people who experience childhood sexual abuse. They're, they're never going to go to counsellors. They're never going to seek compensation. It's so traumatic, they just have to shut it down. And this book is basically for that, that group of people. I wanted to do something for them. They're not going to get compensation. They weren't coming to me as a counsellor. They might have been coming to me for to get their methadone. And I asked them how they're going, and they might start crying or something. They, they, mm. they weren't coming to me for counselling, but it did come out, and, mm. I, and I'd formed good enough relationships so they could talk about it a little bit. And in part of it all, uh, you go through a number of people. It's a group of a group of people, which is quite typical if we we associate with what has gone on in Ballarat, for example, with the number of suicides that have occurred in that area, based upon 
because of, or we believe because of, sexual abuse and a lot of it having been repressed, no one ta- not having talked about it. That, that's right, yeah. You go through all of that, so it's quite an emotional book. I think so, yes. Um, uh, yes, yeah, I suppose that's another person's judgment. I wasn't out to describe childhood sexual abuse. I was out to describe the effect that it has yeah. on people and the pathways of their lives. So it's in a way it's a, uh, it's a revelation and it's also... A re- revelation to not a revelation. It was a revelation to you, and it changed your it, it was. ideas on on how people were as a GP. You must have been going through a real I, learning curve I, yourself. I did, I, it changed my view so much that I was actually ashamed of myself. Here I am, a an experienced GP in my fifties, and only just really learning uh, the extent of the damage and how it affects people. Um, my previous view of humanity was basically that. Um, we all have our different strengths and weaknesses, uh, but we make choices, and these choices dictate our life. Mm. I change my view to the fact that, well, people who experience childhood sexual abuse, their whole development changes. Um, to, to put it very simply, they don't acquire the, the adult skills of um, self-discipline. Uh, they remain fairly impulsive. And if you like that... It's very easy to drift into drugs, and that naturally leads you to, to crime. So they they're almost different, different yeah, a different type of humanity. They they go down a different pathway. Therefore, you can't judge them in terms of choices. They are limited how they can respond to their life. So, so how do you feel with the people who don't talk up? That's one aspect of it. But then, there's a lot of people don't gain credibility or validation when they do talk up because people say, oh, you know, 35 years ago, you must be over it by now. Mm, yeah. How does that bear, sit with you? Well, that would be, I suppose, similar to my previous view that, okay, bad things happen, now you, you make your choices. Um, they just can't... Many people are unable of making the choices of responding to other people and their situation in life and their inner impulses, the way that... Someone like me who's had the benefit of a, a wonderful background and acquired adult self-discipline. Yeah. Mm. I want to bring you in here, Ed, because we know working with... Uh, because we've been proactive in this area of um, supporting people with who've got broken spirit and have have probably lost their spirituality because of it. We've been working for a number of years and then how did you feel about what... I think, too, that many people have been to court and not everyone succeeds through court so I feel as though a lot of people um, aren't going to go to court so they don't speak up justice and they won't speak up but but they will speak to other survivors and you're not alone with GPs because um, we have a friend that's a GP and he'd never experienced that never until a few years ago Mm. and also the extent of the damage and this is uh, through the Catholic Church, not all the other churches, which all of them have had people that have been sexually abused. Yes. And I think a lot of people do self-soothe in some way to mm. help yes. themselves, and they might be homeless and they might be taking drugs, but they're trying to um, really look after themselves and not think about what's happened to them. They yes. don't just get over it. No, no one can just get over it, an event like that. 
Mm. It's a life-changing event, the same as a bushfire for someone that's been traumatised through bushfire, as you spoke. Mm. Yeah. So with some people we're talking here about those who get later on in life, within the book, there is also that that aspect you talk about briefly, Mm. but it acted as a catalyst of going, when they've gone back, they've realised that they're one of the young ones, or one of them, the boys had suicide, completed suicide Mm. when he was a youth. Yes. So some were not coping at that point, mm. and that's created the the flow-on effect to make them, even if they hadn't been primary victims later on, or that they mm. were secondary victims of the fact that their mate had suicided at school. Yes, yes. So you, the, the complexities of it, I really yes. got myself right into the book, that's as right. you can understand. It was a, a suicide that prompts this meeting of, of men 45 years after 45 years yeah. afterwards. Yeah. Mm. So it is it's something, we've got to remember that. Mm. We're talking here, it's quite heavy. I'll give you out a, a couple of numbers. I'll, I'll, we're going to be putting on a, an Irish, it's not necessarily a real heavy Irish song that you know, but it's a mob that I really love. It's called the, By the Furies. So as you've mentioned them, I'm going to put on a, I mentioned Irish, we're going to put on a, a song by them. But I've got um, here, I've got some numbers. I just get, I want to give one out. There's sexual assault and family violence, in, it's local. Uh, no, the local 24-hour crisis line is 1-800-806-292. Or there's a safe steps number, which is also 24 hours, is 1-800-015-188. If anything we talk about does trigger you, and we're quite well aware that it is possible it can do, and we'll be putting this on podcast, so there might be people who do pick up our podcast that uh, get a little bit traumatised what we talk about. But we've got to talk about these things, and we are pretty base about it, but we need to talk about them, don't we, Tim? Yes, yes. They are. They're things to talk about, which is what we're doing here today with Edwina and Greg McHenry on Community Connect on 98.3 and 88.7 FM along, FM along the coast, where we will be putting the podcast up and we are streaming live at all the wsocrfm.org.au. And our guest in the studio today is author Tim Lowe. GP, you're, still your, you're a GP, but should I call you a doctor? I didn't ask you to call me Mr. No, I'm just calling you Tim, do I? <laughs> you can call me Tim. <laughs> so I'm a doctor and I'm a, a rural GP. A rural GP, yes, but you've yes. done this. You're learning about um, the people and the trauma that you've been through, which has brought about this book. I've got to, I haven't read it yet, but the one you've got the comedy and then you go to the thing. Did you get your, your second book? Which I've got to read it again is the, the Arab Club Four Women and a Man, which is a comedy. Had, yes. Did that not help you get your, get it off your chest? Because the trauma that you'd been through, which you've talked a little bit about, yes, you've then got more of it out really by going through this book. But you've you've also had to have okay. to do a little bit of inquiry around the traps I, as to I, whether you were writing the right stuff or I not. I did that. My my second one, the Arab Club, I had a lot of fun with. With the writing of this novel, you know, I'd, I'd written my first one, which came together in patches, I, and you know, I finally got a novel together. Had very small publication, but I'd done it. Then I wanted to see if, if I really could be a writer, and it had to be a, a challenging experience for me. So my big theme for the second one was um, the way men and women think differently. And I wanted to do this with different voices. In other words, I was seeing if I could write. So in this book, there are five characters, and they speak directly to the the, the reader. There are four women. 
But they had to sound very different or the poor reader would get very confused if I'm going to have four women speaking directly to them. And that's where I had a lot of fun. So so one woman comes from poor circumstances. One's a, an extroverted alcoholic. Uh, one's a literature teacher. And one's a Western District aristocrat woman. So they all speak differently. Are they people you know? No, none of them I know. <laughs> However, this is where I had fun. Because when I was in the consulting room, I was looking for these types of women and I would listen to the words they use and how they speak Mm. because it was terribly important in the book that they must be different and recognised as different. So if you look at the language of these, this is, you know, I'm always on the lookout for these four characters I had in my mind, Uh, even, you know, how they speak and how they dress. So that, that all went into that novel. It's clever. Well, I had a lot of fun with it, and it it did come together. And, in fact, when it came out, I was asking people, did you ever get mixed up between the women? They said, no, no. And I was so pleased to hear that. I'd I'd succeeded in my mission. I hope the prescription arrives. (laughs) 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 So when you've you've gone to the the men, because you really, it bases around eight men, well, there are four of past. In the church burning, yes. In the church burning. We yep. go back to the church burning, which mm. is the reason why we're here, really. Mm. You still haven't told... It's going to be launched at... Um, now, where is the new location? It's um, about 50 metres up the street from here. Is it still here? Yes. Cowlick Bookshop. It's yes. just I, out there I, on I the thought, other I thought when, corner. I thought when Neil sold it, it was mm. going to move. Well, I Not haven't heard of that, knowledge. but it's moved from one location to another, but that was... Uh, a year or so ago. Oh, right. Well, Neil, it's here at Carelook. And yeah. when's yeah. it going to be, just so as we can let people know about it first That up? will be on the 19th of February um, at 6pm. Would you believe that's Edwina's birthday, but I'm not telling oh. you how old. <laughs> well, happy birthday for oh, that, 68. Edwina. Oh, I didn't say that. <laughs> wow, I'm no. on the radio. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's not old. Right, now, with this group of men that you write about and how they responded differently... Was that gleaned purely and simply from your observations as a GP with them being in your rooms or did you also go outside for a bit of extra help? Because I know in our conversations you mentioned who I believe uh, in good faith, Helen Last. Yes, Who's a buddy of ours. Well, I've been reading about her for years in her advocacy role Um, (coughs) and I was very impressed with her work. She was someone who had been in... uh, employed by the Catholic Church and was sacked because she spoke out against a bad priest and then became an advocate. So I thought she did a wonderful job. Um, with regards to the, the men in the book, what happens is a, a group of men meet 45 years after they went to school together where they were abused by a priest and they became really the vehicle for me to present to the reader the different pathways these people's lives could go. Some of them that these pathways were familiar with um, from my working with people in Pran and and, um, St Kilda. Others were unfamiliar, but I'd read about them, read about the the sort of things that can happen. With Justin, he's gone from alcohol to almost being a Forrest Gump. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, the central character, Justin, um, Mm. he's a a very strange, complex person, um, really insightful but not insightful enough and he here has his own journey of discovery through the the novel yeah and the whole lot of it is around a lot of dysfunction yes 
Um, and do people understand how much, or do you think they understand as much dysfunction as there really is with people who have been abused? Um, and, and this gives a bit of an insight, do you think, Tim? Yes. My impression is that people don't understand. I'm constantly ending up in conversations about people who are cross with drug addicts because, the, you know, they made bad choices, they should go to jail. And it's far more complex than that. And I, mm. I end up having conversations in trying to explain <laughs> the, the different pathways people can go and, and have a bit more empathy for these, yeah. these damaged human beings. Well, one of the catch cries in it is uh, with one of the chaps starts up a business, or not a business, but a, a, a support thing called Respect the Victim. Yes, yes. Is, that's a big part of what I think we see and when we're respecting the victim and validation as a victim, I think, is what we do too, isn't it, Ed? And is that a big part of what you've picked up from the book so far as yeah, well? Yes, and there are a lot of homeless people that are survivors of sexual abuse. I've got someone that actually works with them in Melbourne and he has a he has a dog and these people don't trust people anymore and he has a dog that will climb in a sleeping bag and they will actually cuddle and you know it speaks a lot about sexual abuse really and they self-soothe they do everything to feel good about themselves yes. mm. mm -hmm. yeah it's a matter of learning how to do it or live the right way. It's um, about finding what people, asking people what they need or finding out what people need. How do you think we can go about it? Because one of the things we advocate here on the program is that first first point of call is your GP, talk to them. Yes. Because of the, then what you can do in terms of directing people, if they've got to be fair dinkum with you. Yes. To talk to you first and then you can help them in the right direction. Yes, that, that's right. That, that certainly is the, the first port of call. And, and GPs, they're, they're better at dealing with this now than they were in the past. Um, many emotive subjects like this are difficult for, for patients and, and GPs have to ask them, like, like anyone suffering from depression. Um, you have to ask questions about what's, what's happened in the past because most people won't volunteer it. They might talk about the doctor might make a good diagnosis of depression and start treating it, but the, the patient might not volunteer their background. They might not even see there's a link between their, their current mental state and what's happened in the past. So not having a go at GPs, but it's always been the question that I ask, are they up to date with or they really are, are they with it enough to be able to be uh, to recognise certain things like we understand or we recognise in a, with a victim or a, a survivor, you can see the difference hmm. in conversation. Well, Does, speaking for myself, I didn't do a good job in the past. I didn't understand enough. The training of GPs now is better in this field. But it's a matter of you, you have to grow with it yes. and learn. Hmm. So the only way we really get our GPs up to scratch, and it sounds a bit, you know, a bit presumptuous of me, is by having people going in there and, and fessing up or being forward and so mm, we need people yeah. to be talkative about these things and that, that's, that's what right. there's have you heard of No More Silence? No. There's a movement called No More Silence. And mm. um, we've actually got the T shirts at home, but No More Silence is related to the uh, the ribbons on the fence, the loud fences. Oh yes, yes. All right. Mm. So that's promoting people to talk about it but also to get people to understand them the churchgoers mm. to understand why the ribbons are there. I, th mm. I think keeping secrets allows sexual abuse to fester 
and that's why we need to talk about it. Yes. And see how we can help people. I think your book does do that. Mm. It'll help people talk about it, and I can highly recommend it. Mm. Oh, that's good. Yes. I think okay. so too. So you're going to be at the Cowlick on the 19th. Yes. There to sign things, and so that's at 6 o'clock. Yes, yes. At I'll six have o'clock a bit of a talk, yes, yes. And you'll have a bit of a talk and read a bit more. Yes. We're going to put another track on um, because I still want to talk to you about uh, some of the things that I've got here. I'm wanting to talk about one of the reactions, and that's with Jared or Gerard. How did you pronounce his name? I didn't know how to do oh, that. Jared. Yes. Jared. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I've got a cousin, Jared. He's over in Western Australia. <laughs> Actually, when it's written, it doesn't matter, does it? When no, when it's written, it, no, I know, but I try and be. I've got to pronounce a name. I didn't have Ooh. trouble with Tim. <laughs> but before, well, I'm glad about that. But before I go on here, if I if I've got a bit of a curly one, um, you know, Siobhan's and things like that. S I O B H A N. I always yes. try and get them right. Or S I O R R S E and whatever. Cerise. I don't know. I've had some funny names in the time, so I try and get hold of them. But we've got we've got Tim Lowe in here. He's the author of a couple three books, but the latest one we're talking about is going to be launched again because it actually has been out for a while. Yes, it came out last year. It yeah. came out yeah. last year, mm. but it's got a lot of content here because it's all around Melbourne, and we can probably talk a little bit about that being an epicentre of a lot of what's been going on. It has some of it, which is why I mentioned it maybe being factional. And I want to just drop one on you before we do go out because this is some of the horrifying stuff that uh, Tim reminded me of in the book, and it's around about this bloke called McArdle. And Michael McArdle was a pedophile priest who admitted to child abuse on more than 1,500 occasions. Now, when he admitted admitted to it, it was in the confessional. And it's been admitted to on over 1,500 occasions. And the response that he was given to by the Catholic priests and or dioceses, the bishops and archbishops, was to pray more. And he should be a prime example for the Catholic Church to what we believe is is a prime church, prime example for the Catholic Church to allow breaking the seal of confession, and we advocate that too that the seal of confession should be broken, because yeah, this bloke continued to get absolution for his what they called a sin. Yes, to about um, thirty what, priests over. Uh, he confessed to about thirty priests over ten years, I think. And they claim it as sin. It's not been declared as. As a crime. As a crime. Hmm. And what we're here talking about today is making it being recognised as a crime, not a sin. I don't know what a sin is. It's just something a man defines. Or a moral failure, I think, is the official word. A moral failure. Well, that's they used for it. What the book does entail is moral, not moral failure. It does involve, (coughs) excuse me, crime. And because we are talking about, look, the support for people who have been impacted by sexual assault, domestic or family violence and abuse, they can call 1-800-737-732. That comes under 1-800-RESPECT. That's 1-800-737-732 or Lifeline on one three double one one four. There are some other numbers that I will plug into our podcast blog, but yeah. If you are affected by this, I'm sorry that if uh, it's affecting you at the moment, hop off and talk to one of those numbers. I'll give them out again if you want. But yeah, we need to talk about it. It's something we need to talk about because we need it to not continue. Here on 98.3 in Colac and District and 88.7 FM along the coast, we're here with Edwina and Greg and we've got author Tim Lowen here, GP Tim Lowen here. 
talking about his latest book, which is going to be launched again at the Catholic <laughs> on the 19th of February at six o'clock. Ned Weiner, who is with me here as well on Community Connecting at 98.3 and 88.7 FM along the coast. The district we are we're, we're talking about, and people would be interested in the book too because you do roam around the area here quite a bit. Yes, yes, I do. Um, you make the locals feel at home. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. Look, I, I really do roam around. My I'm based in Melbourne, but I spend a lot of time in my my bush house at um, Barwon Downs. I've been spending a lot of time there lately because I have a little hobby vineyard in the backyard, and through. November and December, it needs a lot of attention because mm. it's risk of mildew diseases. I spray it with an organic um, thing, um, whey. I make cheese and use the, the whey to spray in the vines. Oh. And that works, that does the job. And then I've got to tidy it up and put the nets on. But anyway, I, I love spending time at Barwon Down. So I've, I've got a house that's surrounded by forest. It's... It's indefensible in terms of bushfire. I, I know that. If there's a fire in the area, I have to leave. But um, I, I love this place. And now my main job is working as a, a rural locum. So I'll spend a month... Um, well, I, I spend about one month in three working, and I'm going all over Australia. My, my last job was Tasmania. My next one's Mount Isa. Now, you work... A lot of these locum stores, the stuff you do, do is with the Aboriginal community. It's mostly working at Aboriginal health services. Oh, and I have yeah. a... I, I really enjoy working there. As a locum, they're the least popular jobs and they're the jobs that often go unfilled. Um, they're, they're challenging because you're dealing with um, a group of people who are well, basically un uncomfortable working with whites. So you mm. have to have a different set of skills for being very respectful and, and accepting and, and trying to think the way they do. Mm. And so what got you into that? Is that, is that a, another part of you breaking or your change in how you <laughs> saw humanity? I think it is, actually, because um, working with people with addictions was quite a big challenging job for me, mm. but I found I liked it. I, I think it would be difficult for, for a young doctor because you have to accept sometimes aggression or... Um, or even, you know, sometimes what could be called disrespectful behaviour. But once you understand where it's coming from, you get better at it. And, um, well, well, now I, I, I actually feel comfortable with working with people who, have, for various reasons, have been marginalised, as the Australian Aborigines have been. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. And so we, we really are talking about marginalised people and marginalised people are the ones who don't get the voice or they don't, they don't have the voice or they don't, they don't give the voice or sometimes they give it wrongly. Mm, that, that, that's very true or, or they're, they're not understood or not. Not heard. understood. Yes. Mm. So th is that partly why you write a book like that other than the fact that it helped you get work through your changes and get you know, um, sort of getting it off your chest in a way? I mean, it, it was, yes. This, this um, church burning was a, a crusading novel for me. Um, my, my second one, The Arab Club, was testing myself. Can I write? This, this was crusading. I wanted to give voice to these people um, because I'd learned about them and I felt a bit guilty that I hadn't really understood it before I worked in St Kilda. Yeah. Do we need to, to get our doctors out there? I mean, we get them going through, like, University Hospital in Geelong or Colic Area Health, but they're sort of nam not namby pamby, but they're really only touching the the surface, aren't they? 
Oh, look, the training of doctors does really emphasise now um, uh, understanding people and getting better rapport. In my early days, I'd go to a conference and it was all, you know, diabetes and heart disease. Now the content will be on counselling skills. Mm. Yeah, so GPs are, well, they're doing a good job. Mm. One, of the, one of the characters in the book is Finn. Yes. And I, not that I associated with him, but I, I look at him and I looked at the way the, the blokes around him, his old mates from school, Finn is the down and out. Yes. Yet his mates, and he, even he sits there quietly, but his mates were his mates. They don't push him? No, no. P- poor old Finn. He's a, a character who, who lives in the Gatwick. The Gatwick was a, a notorious hotel for, for the down and outs in St Kilda, which... Um, it's now not any longer. It went on no. that, that, that TV program. It's yeah, yeah. really been renovated. Yeah. But anyway, I visited there, and it was an extraordinary place because yeah. it, it really was, was quite shocking to see because there are lots of broken doors from there having been kicked in and there are uh, syringes lying around in the, in the bathroom. And Finn lived there. He was someone who obviously had a degree of brain damage, but he was accepted by the group of men. They, they wanted to understand him. He, he had a role, and Justin, the central character, made sure he, he, he went to this all-important meeting. Can we hope that, and I think that's the right word, can we hope that there are more people out there who will see these people as people? And, yeah. and we, I go back to the respect the victim and not not be critical of those who are marginalised because I think the book, it doesn't talk about God. I'm going out with a song with God on our side, which is a bit of a cynical thing of Bob Dylan's, but it's not a God book. It doesn't really put any religion down, Tim. It's, no. It's quite, it's quite a very personal, humanised... Yes. Book, not a religious book or putting any religion down at all. No, no, that wasn't the intention at all. It was to, to educate people, I suppose, about the damage that's done. And also mm. there's the other twist to this. It's they're, they're fighting back. They, these men start mm. doing things. Mm. Well, it was done too because some of the, <laughs> the some of the stories around the time that you've put the book, there were actually churches being... Um, yes, there were. Well, there were there was some strife going on back then in the yes uh, twenty thirteen through mm. for a period. That, that's right. So it does recreate a bit of history to a certain extent, and some of the characters are quite for those who have been as close to it as Edwina and I. Yes. We can quite recognise. There must some be of a lot characters. of anger, which isn't expressed very often in the in the big world, but it, it's certainly there. But and it's well put. Oh, good. <laughs> One of the things that we do talk about, and or it is talked about in it, because and we have mentioned it here during the course of the program, is suicide. So I'm going to uh, just remind people, oh, we may as well, I can do that. I'm not sure whether Deb Manalak is going to get in here today, Ed. But if she doesn't come in, it doesn't. It, it does matter. We'll we'll catch her on the way through. Maroon the play that we've been talking about over the last couple of weeks, um, which is on at the Carolyn Theatre. It has been sold out for Friday night. It has, yes. Yes, but they are putting another uh, a date on um, Saturday the 8th. Mm. It's going to be on again. A matinee at 2, but if you get there at one thirty, there's Guy May's art in, have in a look at the it. art gallery and people, a wonderful play. And, and people have a yarn with me. You can, there'll be tickets at the door, I understand. We missed out on getting them to go Friday, so we're going on Saturday. Yep. 
So we're looking forward to meeting up with a few people then on Saturday ourselves. The exhibition, I'm not saying don't go now. We want you to go to the play, but the exhibition will be open right through until the 31st of August, I understand. So it'll be worth a check out, but we'll be there. And once again, we'd be better give out a couple of numbers. I want to give out the um, suicide line. I'm just moving the stuff around here. Um, suicide callback services on 1300 659 467 and the lifeline number 131114. But the main one there, I think we should be giving out with the sexual. Uh, or impacted by sexual assault, domestic or family violence and abuse is called 1800 737 732. Um, that's one thing the book doesn't have any numbers in it. No, no, no. I I didn't think of didn't that. Didn't think, I know, oh. because uh, I, I got to the end of it and I was wondering, but uh, that's the thing that Ed Weiner and I have been sticklers about because we've been... That's a good idea. We've been mm. talking about this sort of subject for many, many years and it's quite close to our hearts. And so we're not that I'm being critical of it because the book itself is well worth a read. And it's only it's only a good price too. Good. And I'm looking forward to reading the the one that you which is the other one again, the four the four the, women. The Arab the, Club. The yes. Arab Club. Subtitled Four Women and a Man. Your toadstools. <laughs> I can't let you go without the toadstools oh, because yes. when you got stuck into the toadstools when you're wandering around the Bowen Downs, mm. which I never would ever get mixed up with Bowen Heads. Bowen Downs, yes, yes. <laughs> yes, yes. Now, that's that's a little bit of, yes, yes. It's a little bit of flippancy in it that <laughs> Tim does in the book as well because there are a couple of little things you're thrown in there for local humour. Mm. Um, what's this thing about you and you in toadstools? Oh, yes. Look at Bowen Downs through the months of... May, June, July, I spent a lot of time wandering in the forest, which is directly over the road from my house, and the forest is full of beautiful toadstools. They're magnificent. Um, all colours you can imagine, all sorts of interesting associations, like some will only grow in certain places, and some grow at the start of the season, some grow late in the season, some you can eat, some are very poisonous. Now, I brought it into the novel for no good reason other than that I really like toadstools. It, it, <laughs> Quite good, know, I love yeah. them too. <laughs> yes, yes, it could have been cut out of the novel, it wouldn't have mattered, it has no I reference to it. However, <laughs> I had great pleasure in describing some of my favourite toadstools in yeah, the novel. Yeah. <laughs> and, but it wasn't, it was Justin's sister. Yes. That, he, that found 80 varieties. Yes, mm. yes. I thought, where the hell is this going to? <laughs> no, they're just I, having a happy walk and a, and a chat, aren't they? That's I, all. I just <laughs> wondered if it was anything to do with purging. <laughs> but you wouldn't want to eat the wrong one, would you? There are quite a, quite a few humorous bits in it and some bits and pieces in there that are going to you, you'll enjoy. Mm. You'll get up in the air about, you'll get down. You'll, I had a bit of a tear there at one stage. There's some great stuff in the, this. Well, I'm going to call it factional because of some of the stuff in it. Mm. But it is a fiction about, well, what's it about, Tim? Just in your words. It's about the damage done by childhood sexual abuse. And it real, that is a real thing. And if you're sceptical <coughs> about it, mm. please accept it as, as fact. Because we know too many people who have been mm. affected by it. I also think it's huge, from my point of view, it helps you understand people. It's not graphic or anything, but it oh, really no. helps you understand 
different people in life and how things affect them, how sexual yes. abuse and affects it, them. And it affects them differently. Mm. We're going to be back next week with uh, something a bit brighter than what we've had. We're going to have, um, oh, what's his name? John, John Frizen or Frizon who's yep. going to be coming in his the Forest Men's Shed. Mm. Uh, he's going to be coming in. I don't know who he's going to bring in for a yarn, but we're going to be talking about their stuff, and they do a lot for community now. And uh, they've had a complete turnaround with change of management and everything else, and John's going to be here to talk about it, so it should be fabulous. We're going to go out with, as I said, a song called With God on Our Side, which is a Bob Dylan song that uh, was written well before the American War in Vietnam. Um, which is what it seemingly gets called by a lot of people nowadays. And so it doesn't really talk a lot about that. It sort of stops with with being God being on our side with just a, bit, a few nuclear weapons or some horrible gases or something like that. But it's quite interesting to have a listen to. And I think you'll enjoy it. And uh, we certainly enjoyed Man from Man back in the days, or I did. And we also saw them in Geelong not all that long ago. And so we will be with you again next week, Edwina, won't we? We sure will. And we're over at 98.3 here in Colac and 88.7 FM along the coast. And we are streaming live at all the wsocrfm.org.au. I thank you once again, Tim Lowe, for coming in. Get along to the... Caldic Bookshop. Launch of... Well, well, you have to reply or let the them reply, know. Let them know. You have to let, let them know. Let them know. So how yes. do you let them know? Do you either pop into the Caleb shop or ring them up? Uh, yes, well, and they have an email address. but They're probably on Facebook too well, and you can let Facebook. them know. They're on Facebook, yes. Okay, so you have a look, Caleb Bookshop, and give them a call or pop in and just say, I'm going to be along there for the launch at 6 o'clock on the 19th, which is happy birthday, Edwina. But Thank we you. will be back with you next week. <laughs> and we'll be back with you next week it's been Edwina and Greg and thanks again Tim and here goes Man from Man cheers thanks for listening to this OCRFM podcast head to ocrfm.org.au to find more great content and information about how to donate and support this community radio station